I have a question for you guys regarding center ice. And I know we talked about at length with Bridget. Do you have something to, to say right there? No, you're just yawning. No, but I'm, I know what you're going to here. And I'm this, I want to talk about, Okay. I know what you're going to, I'm reading so, your mind. Yes. T we have that chemistry. Uh, I've been line mates for a couple of years now. Um, we're like the, the perfection pod. Um, so Pavel Zaka gets moved to the wing for Morgan Geeky. Now, Matt Potts is in juniors right now, so he's not an option. Georgie Merkulov is in Providence and hasn't played a game for the Bruins. So as we currently speak, he's not an option. As we currently speak. So when you listen I was gonna to say, it, a little more on that later, too. Yeah, a little more on that later, for sure. Time out, time out. Every time we say something like this, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll record, we'll post, and then it'll be like five minutes in, like five minutes after I put it up, it's like, Georgie Merkulov. Do we jump ahead? We're going to talk about – I want to talk about Merkulov. So we're going to get there. I won't forget, Bridget. Should we, should we, should we just jump ahead and say, so Merkulov's been called up, and what do you guys think? About <laughs> just pretend, yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, but even even if Merkulov – like, like, choose your own adventure. Listen to these next 10 minutes if the Bruins yeah. call him up on Friday. Skip over that if they don't. Right, right <laughs> yeah. exactly. But even if, even if he were to get called up, right, at the NHL level, he's still an unknown, so you can't even rely on that, right? But the Bruins move Zaka to the wing. Um Obviously, Coyle's playing like a top two center this year. You know, Zaka point-wise is, but, well, borderline. But I guess my question for you guys is, like, do they envision Zaka being on the wing long-term with this current grouping of forwards? I don't think – he's too good of a talent to to not have as one of your top two centers. Like, you don't want more than Geeky as one of your top two centers, do you? Well, that actually was what I was going to say. And I think that they're what they're kind of saying is Morgan Geeky right now is – playing more comfortably as a center than, than, you know, first of all, than he is playing as a wing, but maybe even more so than, than what they've seen from Zaka at center. So I think the fact that Morgan Geeky has had such a strong game since first of all, Zaka was out and now Patra is in world juniors. I think he's kind of almost like digging out that center role. And I, I do think he played decent on the wing, but he, you can tell a difference in, in his confidence when he plays at center. So um, I think that bumps Zaka over, which sounds a little bit counterintuitive because we talked about this maybe being their long-term option for the center, top-line center, or at least second-line center. Um, so it changes that. And I think I have a different opinion than you two about whether or not I want Zaka to play wing because I know you guys aren't really for it, but I actually like when he plays left wing, and I think that it opens up different combinations um, that you know you can maybe – try out and and there was one time earlier in the season and we're talking about when Patra comes back here that they had Zaka Patra pasta and I would like to see that again at some point so like just the fact that both Kiki and Zaka can be versatile and play either wing or center I think helps yeah I don't so Montgomery was asked about this on Thursday and I think he was specifically asked like do you want to take a longer look at Zaka on the wing and he said, not basically, not necessarily. What I want to take a longer look at is Geeky playing between Zaka and Pasternak, um, which I don't have a problem with. Again, you're still technically you're still in the first half of the season, so I I've said this before with like line changes. I have no problem seeing lots of different combinations and people in different spots, and just see what you have and give things a few games and see how it looks like. It's good to know all these things going forward down the line 
you know, hey, can Morgan Geeky move up in the lineup and center these guys? Can Pavel Zaka move over to the wing and, you know, play the way he played on the wing last year? Or is he so set at center now that he's going to struggle on the wing? Like, those are just good things to figure out. So I don't have an issue with it. Um, I would say talking longer term, I guess what concerns me with this current lineup is, like, if Zaka's on the wing – as good as Morgan Geeky has played recently, I still have a hard time imagining him being a legitimate top two center long-term on a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. Maybe I'm just underestimating him. Maybe he'll blow me away, but I just don't see him as that kind of player long-term. What I do look at is, hey, when you slide Pavel Zaka over to the wing, boy, doesn't that open up a spot for someone like, I don't know, Elias Lindholm? But that's obviously down the road as well. I don't think that trade's happening now. So, um, yeah, I think with the current roster, I still think you're probably at your best with Zaka at center. But I have no problem in the shorter term seeing how this looks. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think – I agree with all that, actually. Like, I I don't have an issue with it right now. You kind of – it's a long, it's a long season. You want to see different looks and, and find different ways to motivate guys and, and reward guys and, and send messages to guys, right? It's kind of a indictment on Zaka a little bit too, that he got to get pushed to the wing. Cause if he was lighting it up, uh, you know, he, they probably wouldn't have moved them. Um, but I don't see Morgan geeky as somebody who has the foot speed to keep up with, uh, you know, top centers in this league when, when the hockey matters most in the springtime, I just don't see it. It's not that he's not a smart player or a crafty player or knows where to go, where to be. I just think there's a – and, I, again, Scott, you said it. Maybe I'm underestimating him too. But visually, I, I don't see the foot speed there to keep up with, the, you know, the top centers in the Eastern Conference if you were to match up against them. So uh, if this is the second half of the season, for me, it has to be – Zaka has to be a top two center uh, with Coyle and or Potter or whatever. Um, and that's – you know, that's without knowing any potential – trade down the line as well. I do think though that like you mentioned, you've said underrated a few times about Kiki. I think he is. And I think he still has more to show. And I think he's been looking for a team to actually like give him a chance with his skill set because I feel like when he was in Seattle, um, which by the way, he got taken in the expansion draft and, and ended up over there and they'd never really found like a true role for him he was playing on the fourth line so when he has this opportunity to play up in the lineup he's probably thinking to himself like this is this is a great opportunity and i can actually show what i can do and he's you know he signed a two-year contract two million dollars a year with the bruins they found somebody that was better than what the rest of the league thought he was so that's exactly what you're trying to do in the offseason is identify someone that you can bring in and afford, which, you know, $2 million, they they could afford that contract. They didn't have a lot of cap space, but that was actually going to outperform what people thought of him. And I think he has so far. So the bar, I think the bar was low. They expected it to be low, but he's kind of just like moving it up and up and up and showing that he's he can do better than just play, you know, fourth line center. Uh, he can play anywhere in the lineup. Yeah, and in some ways it's a little similar to the bet that they made on Zaka, which is talented player, has kind of been moved around, maybe been a little lower in the lineup on another team. And 
you give him a little more of an opportunity and see if he can run with it. And obviously it paid off with Zaka, you know, again, taking like the bigger picture of like, can he be your number one center long-term just in terms of he's clearly established himself as a top six forward, whether you think he's a center or wing. And that was an opportunity he really wasn't getting in Jersey. Um, so yeah, geeky, you know, not as highly touted, but Zach was the number six overall pick. Um, Geeky, I think, was a third-round pick, maybe. But always had talent, like put up big offensive numbers in juniors. Um, but, yeah, just ended up lowering the lineup in Carolina, lowering the lineup in Seattle. And we talked about it over the summer. Like I mentioned sort of, you know, the analytics showed that he, you know, in terms of like five-on-five five points for 60 minutes, like there were really good signs there, especially when it came to playmaking assists um and you wonder you know okay can that translate if we give him more five on five minutes can he continue to produce at that kind of rate against tougher competition playing with better players um and you you didn't really see it early on this season in part because he moved around a little bit then got hurt but yeah you you do see it now as he gets an opportunity on the top line next to Pasternak on the top power play unit um, you see him putting up more points. So, like I said, I still have questions about whether that is sustainable long-term. But for now, yeah, great for him. Like, he's definitely taking taking advantage of an opportunity. Okay, so we have a couple of more topics to get to. But before that, maybe we should uh, shift over to uh, the who's up and the who's down. Uh, so I think... You might not hear this too often, so I would, I, would, I would open your ears nice and wide. But for Brian, Jake DeBrusque is up right now. Jake DeBrusque. Wow. He's up. Wow. He's up. He's awake. He's awake. The alarm went off. He pressed snooze for, you know, the entire season. But here here we are in December, uh, you know, December 28th, and, and he woke up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But he did get two assists against Buffalo, and – I could be a cynic, guys, and sit here and say, well, the second assist he got, I mean, Charlie Coyle was trying to pass it to to the ref. It wasn't even meant to be a goal. Um, then that there were both both assists came on the power play. I could be a cynic and say that. But you I'm are not, a cynic. So, not, and you just I, did say that. <laughs> I, I could be I could be a cynic and say that, but I won't be. I will sit here and say that uh that he did get two assists on those plays and he was doing it because he made the right plays. Um you know, the first assist, he he took the puck around the net and, like, was just – it's a smart play. It's a skillful play, a skillful pass to Coyle in front. But what I like about the second assist, all joking aside, is that, you know, for all DeBrusque knows, when he passed that puck to Coyle, Coyle snaps it in for a nice goal. Um, but he did win a race to that loose puck, um, and he did absorb body contact in getting that pass to Coyle. Uh, so why I was – being facetious earlier about the being cynical, but like that, like that's a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's doing what it takes to, to make a smart play. And, um, you know, so Scott could probably say to me like, well, Brian, he's made a ton of plays this year where he's made plays like that, but the puck didn't end up going in for somebody and it could have led to potential points in the past. And, that, and that's, that's fair. I, that is fair. But I, I will say last night the, the assist happened. So you have to give him credit for, for finding the score sheet. Yeah, I mean, along those lines, like, I think I mentioned this at the time, but there was one game 
it's either like early in the four game losing streak or maybe just before that, where he set up Pasternak for two chances, almost exactly like the ones Coyle buried. And, you know, oddly enough, like Coyle buries those. And in that other game I'm talking about, Pasternak didn't. Like, I think the goalie made a great save on one, and I think he might have shot it like into his chest on the other. But yeah, I was, I was talking to Charlie Coyle after practice on Thursday and asked him, like, because I had talked to him last week, asked him about, like, DeBrus, you know, kind of slumping or whatever. And um, I asked, you know, I'd asked him, like, do you find that – because, by the way, Coyle snapped his own 16 pointless streak. Both of them had, got, had gone six games without a point. Um, and I was like, you know, Ken setting up goals, like – bring that confidence back the same way goals can. And he was like, I, I think so, especially when it's like the direct primary assist like that, like when you're the one making the key pass to set up the goal. So yeah, if you're the Bruins, obviously you hope that that does get DeBrus going and that he feels a little better about himself. And it's, you know, you also hope that like what he realizes is the revert, right? Like, how did you get an assist on those goals? Because Charlie Coyle was right in front with his stick on the ice, ready to shoot. Like Jake DeBrus can also be in those situations. be set up right in front with his stick on the ice, ready to shoot. And someone else sets him up. So just all around, like, I think good to just see plays like that work for him where it's like, Oh, okay. Like we got the puck to the front. Someone was there and they buried it. And, you know, Scored from really in close. Um, now, if you see DeBrus score a couple of those, like that's sort of the last step now that's needed. Is great. He's he's setting up line mates. Got a couple points. That's good. Like you you want those points on your, you know, next to your name. Now it's gonna be okay. Still needs the goals. He still needs some finishes like that himself. Yeah. And so we've kind of already touched on two guys that I would also say were ups and Morgan Geeky's one. We've already talked a little bit about him, but just to expand a little bit further goals in back-to-back games, uh, three points in the last four games, just, and just the, you know, the eye test um, going to the right uh, parts of the ice, using his body the right way, going to the net. Um, Morgan Geeky kind of self-explanatory is an up and, the other one is Charlie Coyle, who we talked about um, being the goal scorer on those plays that DeBrusque made. Um, and he needs to get back into that, uh, the way that stretch that he was playing earlier in the season, where once again, we, we did the segment and we were, you know, praising what Charlie Coyle was able to do. But he has the skill set in front of the net, too. Like we've seen him use there on the power play, not as often recently, but still occasionally. Um, so he has that skill set right in front of the net that he can roof it like that. He's, he's a good goal scorer. Um, and now you kind of see him being the leader of that line. Uh, Marshawn, you know, we, we mentioned him playing next to Marshawn. Sometimes Marshawn takes it over, but you'd love to see Coyle take it over too at different times and, and use his skills to, cause he can just as easily set up DeBrusque in front of the net or Marshawn in front of the net. So you can really see the potential of that line. They just need to play more to it. And you saw it. I know we mentioned this was on the power play, but uh, you know, even strength, don't see why you couldn't do it. Even strength either. Obviously you have a little bit more space to work with and, and an advantage on the power play, but you know, you, you could, you could 
do those same things five on five. So I think Coyle was back on the up, like you mentioned. Uh, having a two-goal game is always good. Uh, making an impact on the power play is always good. And like we mentioned, he was great five on five and shorthanded as well. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Uh, and up for me is Mason Lorai, who scored the first goal Wednesday night. Um, made it. Danton Heinen gets a poke check. Laura makes a good play to step up, win possession, dishes over to Trent Frederick for the zone entry, and then doesn't just pull up or stop at the point. He drives the net. Ben Reamside throws a shot on, and he's perfect spot to bury a rebound. Um, I think Mason Laura in general has been playing better and looking more confident and comfortable at the NHL level. And that probably flew a little bit under the radar during the losing streak where I think, you know, and we were maybe even guilty of this, like, just like, oh, well, the whole team stinks. But to me, like, the Bruins' problems during that losing streak really started with their top players not playing well. It wasn't it wasn't really an issue of depth to me. Like, I, I didn't look at, like, their third pairing or fourth line and be like, wow, these guys suck. You can't play them. Like, no, it was like Pasternak and Marchand and McAvoy aren't showing up and playing like, you know, they're capable of. So I think, I think Laura actually had a couple of decent games during that stretch. Um, and just to like put some numbers on it. Laura's first 12 NHL games, when he was on the ice at five on five, Bruins got outscored 13 to seven and had just 40% of the shots on goal. In his last six games, when he's been on the ice at five on five, Bruins have outscored their opponents five to one and have 56% of shots on goal. So it's really completely flipped that him, the goal's nice, him being involved offensively is nice, him being on the ice for just one goal against in the last six games, really encouraging, uh, given where he was earlier this year. Yeah, he's plus four in his last six games. So he's in, before that, he had been putting up mostly, you know, minus one or, or even. So, you know, he's he's putting up, you know, plus numbers in the last six games. And and also you see his intelligence in terms of offense, like on that goal that he scored, which not for nothing was the first goal of the game and kind of kind of sparked a little bit of offense after that. He he saw what was happening. He saw that you know, there was going to be a shot and he was either going to be open for like a backdoor pass or taking the, the puck um, on the rebound. And he saw that it was open and he took it. Um, he's got a smart offensive mind and not every Bruins defenseman would have drove to the net there, uh, but he knew he could do it and that there were guys behind him and, and he made the right play and, and it's perfect. I don't know if Van Reams like meant to pass it off the pads. It kind of looked like he did. But, you know, maybe that was just an honest, like, low shot trying to score five hole or something by Van Riemsdyk. Maybe it was intentionally trying to pop the rebound out to whoever was crashing the net. But it's the right move to make, and it's it's a it's a nice finish as well. So he, you see that he can bring more offense than some of the other guys that they've called up because we talked about Witherspoon and what he brings physically. Um, we talked about Ian Mitchell being, you know, offensive-minded as well. But Mason Lorai has that skill set, and you saw it on display. Yeah, and I think when the Bruins need offense from your back end and they haven't been getting much of it this year, he's been one of the players to provide it. I think I think he's kind of earning his I think he's earning his way onto this team. Um 
you can't tell me that Matt Grizzlick is an upgrade over him right now just because of the way Grizzlick has played so far this year. It's been kind of just not the Grizzlick that we're accustomed to. Combine that with the fact that Lorai is producing and it is getting better game in and game out. And then, I mean, forward's a completely different player, right? So I, I just think that – I think I think the Bruins – I think Lorai is, is – He's kind of a necessity, I think, right now. I think earlier in the year, it was kind of a luxury to have him, right? You were like, well, the Bruins have McAvoy and Lindholm and Carlo and Grizzlick and whatever, but they don't need Lorai right now. But I think they kind of do need him right now um, for a lot of different reasons. I think in that losing streak, like, yeah, Scott, you mentioned it. It wasn't necessarily like the defense. I mean, everybody was playing not great hockey. But I think when you're forced to defend as much as the Bruins' decor was forced to defend, there's only so much bend before you break. And I think that like when your offense isn't carrying enough weight on the other side of the ice and, and even in the playing field, it's like you're, you're skating uphill. Uh, so I think that had something to do with it as well. And, but yeah, I, I've liked Laura's game. I think he's a great, he's a great choice for an up bridge. Did you have a follow up on that? Well, I was just going to say, and this may be like somewhat of a, a tangent, but I, uh, Derek Forbert, you mentioned that there was no update on him, but he was like, he's not, it doesn't look like he's close right now um, as of practice on Thursday morning. So Grizzly, he, he, he hasn't, we haven't even seen him skating before. So no. as, as far as we know, he hasn't even started skating yet. No. And, and you know what? Uh, I, I it started to kind of creep into my mind watching the Buffalo game last night that as time goes on and, and as he's out longer, I feel like you notice his absence more like in, in the sample size of games that the Bruins have been without him. I, I know he's not the most flashy defenseman that they have. He's on their bottom pair, but he is another big body and he is a great penalty killer. And I feel like in some of those losses that the Bruins had or, or uh, you know, the winless streak that they were on, they really could have used someone like that because they're offensively, they weren't producing, but when they have forward as such like a strong defenseman on the back end and they have the strong goaltending sometimes we've talked about it many times that that can make up for some of the flaws that uh, the team has so I, I feel like you kind of really noticed it in that stretch of, of that winless stretch and I just bring it up I know it wasn't really to do with the most recent game but we also didn't talk about the two games before break and I just feel like the longer you go without forward, you you are missing a certain element of steadiness on the back end and especially on the penalty kill. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like to me, it's it's I do think maybe the penalty kill was missing him. I think there was a stretch there where over like five games they gave up five power play goals on like 14 chances. Um which obviously is like way below the standards that they've set on the PK. But I, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm like downplaying forward, but I just think they they can. If other guys play relatively well, I think you can overcome it. I especially think you'd be fine, fine five on five, and you might have to change your penalty kill a little bit. But I think you should still be able to kill penalties with what you have. Well, like Witherspoon, they didn't just go six for six, and I know Buffalo's missing. Cage Thompson, so obviously that's a big factor there, but yeah, um, certainly a step in the right direction, anyways. But like, I, and I understand Witherspoon like is kind of a big body replacing him, but he's not Derek Forbert. Like, we we at least need to give Forbert credit that he's a better defenseman than Witherspoon, and they're better with him in the lineup than they are uh, with Witherspoon or Mitchell in his place. 
And like, we like what we see from Lori, but you have these three guys that have been filling in that none of them have officially like taken a spot. And I, I don't know. I just, I've thought about the absence of Forbert over the past few games, especially during the losing streak. I just wanted to bring it up because especially now that we kind of have this idea that it's, it's going to be a, a lo- pretty long-term situation for him to recover. So, it, you know, does it, does it pop up as an issue as we go along? Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I'm not even looking at Lorais replacing forward. I'm looking at him replacing Grizzly because they're they're like-minded players. Um, like it's kind of yeah, like each each defenseman has a different role to play, and I, and I don't think Lorais filling the type of role, whether it's Derek Forbert or somebody like him. Um, I'm looking for him to fill that that role of you know the offensive defenseman who can move the puck and make things happen in transition, and. Um, and be better defensively because you're getting the puck out of your own zone, which is what Grizzly has been able to do for a long time. He's just been having a down year and we just can't, nobody can really argue that at this point. Um, now, Scott, what is Charlie McAvoy not doing right now that when he's playing on top of his game, he is doing? Well, I don't think he's been as involved offensively. And I also it seems like defensively he's been out of position like more than usual and has allowed like some gaps in the defensive zone where again, because the Bruins play zone defense, like sometimes it's hard to tell exactly who's at fault. Like was there miscommunication? Did someone not pick someone up? But it seems like he's been around the puck or like near guys who have gotten golden scoring opportunities, especially during the, losing streak where I thought honestly like I thought that was some of the worst hockey we've seen from McAvoy in a while and then I thought he was a little better against when against Buffalo on Wednesday but I still didn't think that was like a great game for him and um I, I'm sure playing with different partners is, is part of it Grizzly's been in and out of the lineup and as we said like Grizzly hasn't been playing his best either you know Lorai's still learning and I think when he gets put with McAvoy like they're still learning each other and learning chemistry Hampus Lindholm's gotten bumped up to play next to him a couple times like so I'm sure that's part of it is there's just things aren't as settled as maybe he's been used to over the last few years but if if you're the number one defenseman you're one of the five best defensemen in the world which I think we all believe McAvoy is when he's on top of his game um, you know, it is on you to like find a way to make it work. And I just think there's been, you know, probably like a handful of games now recently where it just doesn't really seem to be working when he's on the ice. Like he, he, they are just, they're getting pinned in, they're giving up chances. He's not getting as many chances at the other end. Um, I'm not, I'm not super worried about him unless like we find out that you know, that shoulder injury that he suffered right before Christmas where he left the game and then quickly came back. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that's anything to be concerned about. He hasn't missed any time. Um, unless you find out like, like that's lingering and affecting his play or something. I'm not concerned big picture long-term, but right now I do think McAvoy's kind of in a bit of a rut and just not playing the way that we were used to seeing. I thought yeah. 
I thought he started the season really strong too. Like I thought, I I remember us talking early on um, that he and Pasternak had just been really excelling as leaders, as young leaders with uh, with with Bergeron and Krejci moving on, and Felino and other leaders. Um, obviously, Pasternak has continued to to produce at a at an all world level, but um, that's also kind of concerning too because like you did see that 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 high level of play earlier on this year. Yeah, I mean, and and to talk about Lorai being an up and McAvoy, you know, maybe being a little bit of a down. They both have three goals this season. McAvoy obviously has a lot more points. I think he has like 16 assists or something like that on top of the three goals. But, you know, he he can usually be looked at for a little bit more goal scoring production. Uh, I, I, I think he's only kind of like uh, slightly down compared to, you know, some of the other people we've talked about this season. Um, he hasn't been playing his best, but he hasn't been playing terribly. Um, and he's also out there with Mason Lorai now. And, and, you know, pairs have been switched around with the different injuries that have been happening on the back end. So I yeah, don't really have much more to add about McAvoy. There was there was one play against Winnipeg, too, that just kind of stood out to me. Is it, Like McAvoy is – he's supposed to shut plays down. And he's supposed to shut plays down in his own end and create plays in the offensive zone. Um, and there was a play against the Jets where it was they were in transition and he just kind of went for like a a, a backdoor saucer pass floater to I forget who it was crashing the net. Zaka. Zaka crashing the net. And like I get the I it's it wasn't the worst play in the world. It, it, in fact, had it connected, it would have been a pretty sick goal. But it didn't connect. And it just it was kind of a soft play. It goes off the boards and then it goes the other way. And the jets, like it was kind of a net mount scramble. And, and even then McAvoy was like late getting back. And it's like, well, that turnover happens because of a pass that you misfired on. And now you're getting back kind of late and you're getting out muscled. It just, it was just a, a play that just kind of like showed me he's just not playing, uh, to his standards right now. And that, that, that one play kind of was a microcosm, a little bit of some of his recent play, but a yeah. little bit. Of- and so I didn't even look this up before I mentioned McAvoy as a down, but while you guys were talking, I just, just picked a date December 1st and looked up McAvoy's five on five numbers since then. So he's played seven games in the month of December uh, because he did miss a few with the other injury that he, that he suffered. Um, on that, like, hit to the face. Uh, in the month of December, in seven games, Charlie McAvoy has been on the ice for seven goals against at five on five, one goal for, minus six at five on five, worse, worse on the team. Um, and, like, if you if you pull back to, like, you know, chances, shot attempts, it's, it's not that bad, but, like, 47% Corsi, 46% expected goals. Like th- those just aren't Charlie McAvoy numbers. That's when he's playing his best, the Bruins are dominant when he's on the ice. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always nice when, when the numbers back up uh, what I was already feeling. Yeah. And it, <laughs> of course he had to go there. It's a, you know, he uses it as like, this is why I'm right. And you're wrong. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, those those are, are good numbers, though, Scott, because it kind of illustrates why and, and how important McAvoy's play is to the team in terms of winning, because it's no coincidence that 
their winless streak comes be, at the same time that Charlie McAvoy's numbers aren't as good as, as they normally are. So um, that's definitely a big factor in it. Does anyone else have an up or down? I think we got to most of ours, right? We good, Scott? Looking at you. Nothing. No. Nothing. Nothing definitive, but like, like we we kind of touched on Zaka a little bit. So you know, having get sent to wing, he's been a little quiet. And then, you know, I I, I don't think they've been the problem at all. I think they've just been one of a bunch of players that kind of were amidst a slump. But I, I also haven't thought that Carlo and Lindholm have been particularly um elite for their standards um certainly not during during the losing streak but again that to, to pick on a couple of players over the course of a long you know four game losing streak is kind of unfair because everybody kind yeah. of was the rope. I was gonna say I I agree during that losing streak I would also note I thought Wednesday night was the best game Hampus Lindholm's played in a while I thought thought he looked really good Wednesday night in Buffalo um I don't think he ended up with any points right he didn't no, but he he helped create chances. Um, I think you saw him start several transitions with with clean breakouts, and you saw like you saw that skating that we saw, you know, when he first got to Boston, and early on last season, where like he makes one move to get past the first four checker, and then just takes off and gets separation, and um, like that to me is like the sign of him being on top of his game is like pulling away from guys in transition. And you saw that a few times Wednesday night. So he also, he had like one totally dominant shift in the offensive zone where um, he like deeped around a forward at one point, he made a couple of really nice passes that led to scoring chances. One was like a great, I don't even know like how he saw the lane. It was like a seam pass through, through traffic to Marchand. Um, So yeah, he would, he would be an up for me just looking at Wednesday. I agree with you. That pairing also was not great during the losing streak. 